So five minutes and 12 seconds. Oh, snap. <laughs> so I figured, out, I figured out why. So I thought about it. Head smaller. <laughs> no, I think we've measured heads before, believe it or not. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> At one of our holiday gatherings, we have we literally got out measuring tape yeah. and measured That's circumference. Head circumference. Why did that even come up? Oh, no. We're probably looking at Grant. We're just like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We were mocking him for the size of his melon. And then oh, we're going to settle this once and for all. <laughs> well, well, I've had I've had both people tell me I've had a my head is large and I've had others tell me it's small. Oh. Like one, one time I remember I shaved my head really close when I was living in California. And um, this really nice fellow that I worked with, he came up to me and he was like, man, you had a lot of face under that hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <thanks>. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was more like a comment on dude my face must look huge if with my like small head or something <laughs> right, right. Uh, <laughs> like send up a caricature yeah yeah like not proportion is all out of whack yeah and i i couldn't tell if it was kind of a cut down or <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it made me laugh though <laughs> So five minutes and 20-something. We're also like five minutes and 12 seconds. And this oh, is man. the reason is that I shave my head at, at least every two or three days. Mm. Since it took you six days to come around to shaving, that's why it took right. you longer. That's why, That was the extra minute. <laughs> and it makes sense, too. It makes sense that it's not going to be like uh, exponential. Like you right. wait a couple extra days and it's not going to make it twice as long or three times as long. Yeah. This is going to make a little bit longer. A little bit longer, right. Little, right. Yeah, so that, that might be it. So to really do it right, we have to, the same we have to like control, yeah, control all of the <laughs> metrics. Right. <laughs> oh, man. They're exactly the same. <laughs> I was shocked, though. Yeah, I had yeah. the timer going. I was like, well, five minutes. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So it's not that bad. I mean, I guess if you add it up, it's still maybe more time than getting a haircut every every month. Yeah. But that's yeah, true. Not, it's not that bad. That's yeah, pretty bad. minimal. It's pretty minimal. Or and deduct the uh, hair washing and combing time. That's a good point. So really, probably come out ahead. Yeah, ahead at uh. least even. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Brother to Brother, episode three. I'm Clay Stevenson. I'm Brian Stevenson. Today we're going to talk about the winter and how we handle that, how we keep our animals alive, and the faith and oddball segments are merged so that we could spend more time talking about grief. So now we're in the dead of winter. It's super cold. What do you guys do with your chickens? Yeah, n- nothing really. We um, we just have to make sure they have liquid water, right? The, the it gets cold overnight. If it freezes overnight and they don't have water, that's really the number one issue. And we don't have any type of electric heater out there or anything like that um, for the water or for the chickens. And we had where it got down to 10 or 15 degrees here, and it probably gets as cold or colder there, right? right. And and they did fine. We'll go in there and check on them, and they'll be huddled together either on the roost or sometimes in the corner, like really tight trying to stay warm. But then as soon as the sun comes up, they come out and yeah. – Never, never had any issue, and we haven't had any frostbite or anything like that, which I've seen some sometimes happens with their comb and their waddle. We right. haven't had any of that, and it's gotten really cold. We've had a similar experience. In the beginning, 
we put a heat lamp out there because we thought that's what you were supposed to do. And I think there is maybe some truth to the idea that a heat lamp will help the chickens produce more eggs. Right. Um, or maybe it's the light. The light. I think it's the light. Yeah. Um, but but it's kind of a hassle, to be honest, to deal with. And then you're kind of concerned about something catching on fire. Uh, if you Every year turn it there's off. people's coops catch on fire because you got all that dry, you know, whatever you're using as dust or newspaper or pine shavings that's in there that catches fire and seems to happen a lot. Right. So, and so and we did, then you got fried chicken instead of yeah. eggs. It's not good. <laughs> well, we, so we did a little reading and we heard people who live up in Canada and have chickens and they leave their chickens out with nothing and no heat yeah. lamp or anything like that. And they're fine. Um, so I think the general consensus is if you have a shelter for them, that right. um, is a, a buffer against the wind. That's right. really the key. And, they and, do and, I, and I've together. even heard, and I've even heard people say that the temperature change between being in their coop and it's sixty-five or seventy degrees, and then they walk out and it's thirty, that that's not good for for them either. Yeah, like that can lead to uh, to colds and sicknesses similar to with with people. Yeah, so it's better to kind of keep a, as much of an equilibrium as possible between the two and keep it ventilated. Yeah, so that doesn't just sound like a bunch of excuses to be lazy with your chickens. <laughs> <laughs> if if Leanne and Ava had their way, they probably would have been sleeping in Ava's bedroom. Right. When it got down to like five degrees, they felt so sorry for him. They uh -huh. wanted to bring him into the house and all this right, stuff. Right. Yeah. Well, that's how we've been this year. This is this year is the first year we've had goats and it's getting colder. Right. But again, everything I've read just speaks to the hardiness of goats. Right. <laughs> that they can survive in the most extreme of temperatures, hot and cold. And we have a shelter for them with three walls and a roof, and it has some ventilation in it. It's open on right. one side. There's three of them. They huddle together. They act completely fine in the morning. Yep. Like, like it, they're totally good. So, One, one thing that was a trip, our, our chickens hated the snow. Uh -huh. and, and that kind of makes sense too. Their feet aren't covered with anything right, right. there. So they, they would peek out and look around and maybe like put a toe in it. And then they just back up into the coop. <laughs> well, <laughs> they just if, huddle up in there. If you've ever defeathered a chicken, you realize how many hundreds and thousands of feathers they have. If you've well, ever like done it molt. by hand. I mean, when they molt, it's, it's our backyard. It looks like there's a pillow fight back there. Yeah. There's just feathers everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it'll take me by myself, by hand, to defeather a chicken close to an hour. There are right. so many feathers on a chicken. It's crazy. Right. We put those in the compost pile, too. Yeah, yeah. I think those probably take a long time to break down, but what the heck. Yeah. No, I mean, it didn't seem like it. Like, I don't see them in there anymore. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're hollow and, I guess, calcium. and No, that's a good I don't point. Know, they, they seem to decompose pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. So with the chickens, not too much, um, but with the bees, uh, we don't know what to do with the bees. Our, our, by the way, our bees don't look like they're doing too well. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I talked to Angie about it a little bit. Yeah. You, you probably just got a queen that, you know, for whatever reason, she, she wasn't strong. Right. And so she's, she left or she quit laying or something. Cause I've, we've, I've had the same thing. It's really yeah. hit or miss over the winter. Right. So. But the, what I have done, I, I had four hives at one time and I was experimenting with different things because everybody will tell you something different. 
as far as insulating them, um, closing the bottom screen, opening the bottom screen, um, you know, leaving a bunch of honey there, feeding them, what to feed them, all these different things. The one thing that was interesting to me was I, I think I had two hives that died because of moisture in the hive. Mm. And so if you think about it, like this happened to me, I went out to check the chickens this morning. It was like 30 degrees. I gave them some water. I got water on my hands and my hands were just freezing when I got inside. Yeah. That water just conducts the the heat so much better that it, it, takes all the heat out of your body right right same thing happens to the bees if they get moisture in the hive and condensation and then it gets cold they can't warm it up yeah and so the solution to that is ventilation and so i did an experiment where i opened the bottom boards on a couple of my hives and those hives did much better really much better so i keep now i keep them all open and a lot of people will say that um, yeah it seems to be the consensus some people still close them but a lot of people will leave them open and even leave a little gap Make sure there's a little gap in the top as well so that they can, ventilation can come from the bottom all the way up through the top. Okay. Well, do you feed so, them? I do now. Uh, I make it a point to leave, leave them, try to leave them a super of honey. But uh, then I'm going to supplement them too just because I've had issues with, it seems like they don't, they're not, they, they'll survive, but they're not strong coming yeah. into the spring. And so I, I'm going to try feeding them much more this year. And another thing I'm going to try now is just giving them dry sugar. And that's supposed to help with the moisture as well. It'll interesting soak some of that moisture up. And they'll eat it if they need it. And if they don't, they'll leave it. And hmm. so you're not uh, – they don't store it necessarily in the cells. They just eat it as they need it. And so that seems like that's a good good approach for over the winter. Yeah. So not the fondant? I tried that and they didn't – they didn't eat it. They didn't seem to like it, but maybe they did. Maybe they were fine and they didn't, you know, it wasn't necessary. I just talked to some people at the local beekeepers meeting last week that, that did the sugar and, um, had had good luck with it. So I'm going to try that. Just table sugar, just, or natural sugar or whatever. Yeah. Just table sugar, like a bag, five pound bag you buy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they'll put a sheet of a thin sheet of newspaper Mm -hmm. on the top of the frames, pile the sugar up on it, spread it out evenly, spritz it a little bit just to help it. Um, keep it there. To keep it, yeah, to solidify it a little bit so it'll stay. And then put a high box on top of that and close it up. Interesting. Huh. And then they'll, they'll eat through the newspaper, and then that keeps it from just falling everywhere, right? Right. They can eat through the newspaper and come up and get it. Yeah. So what, another thing that's neat about how – have you heard that they, they create a ball to stay warm? Right. And, and I was at the Beekeepers Association meeting, and what they he was explaining it. What they actually do is get all clustered together in the middle of the the frames, and they all stick their heads in a cell. Oh, on either side of the frame, so they're head huh. to head in the cell, you know, facing each other, and they generate warmth that way. Interesting. With, and, and the cell and the cell and the wax helps to helps hold insulate. the warmth. Right. Versus if they're standing on the outside of it, and it would just kind of all go out into the air. Oh. That's pretty. That's pretty neat. It's crazy. Um, I remember that Dad used to wrap the hives with insulation. Yeah, we I'm, were. I'm trying that now with one of my hives. We were considering using bubble wrap because yeah. it would allow the sun through, mm-hmm. but still be able to trap some heat in there. Is that what you're doing? Bubble wrap. I have that same insulation that Dad used. Okay. But uh, I was noticing that the other day. I was like, man, the sun's out and it's just all reflecting off of there. Right. Yeah, the bubble wrap might be better. 
one of the guys I talked to recently, he swore by it. And he bubble had like wrap. A, yeah, bubble wrap hmm. and those styrofoam uh, sheets. He did both. Oh, okay. And he had like a, he had thermometers in his hive. And he was doing all this scientific wow, stuff to like probably smart to to check it out and see how it was working. Hmm. If if they don't have to heat, stay warm. Like they'll stay warm when it gets really cold, but then they're consuming a lot of energy, and then they're right. eating more, and then they're not as strong coming into the spring. And so if you can, what he was telling me, if you can do things to help them stay warm, then they're just gonna be stronger coming into the spring. Now, do you, do you try to condense your hives and make them smaller? Definitely. Okay. Yeah. So like now I've got just the two two boxes and no queen excluder. That's another mistake I made in the past. Right. Was I left the queen excluder on and they had honey in the super above the queen excluder. Right. But one of two things will happen. The bees will leave. A lot of the bees will leave the queen and go up to get the food and then the queen could freeze or they won't want to leave the queen and so they'll stay huddled around her in a mass and then they won't be able to get to the food. Could that have so, yeah. happened to ours? We had a few cold days and that excluder was definitely on there. It's possible. Such a bummer, man. It is a bummer. You lose I, a hive. I, like you I put know. so much time and energy and money yeah. into it. It is. It's, it's frustrating. It seems really common though. I think once you figure it out for your location, you're good. But right. it takes it takes trial and error. But I think it's right. important for people to realize that um, that's part of the course. Right. I mean, the same with any of these things that we're doing, chickens and goats. I mean, you've had we've both had chickens die. And right. there's a lot of work that you don't think about ahead of time. And um, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't say chickens or bees. They don't have to be a lot of work, but then you have to be willing to let it fail and yeah. and learn from those mistakes and, and do it right. better. Right. And the more work you put into it, the better off it'll be. Same with the garden. Same thing. Yeah. Rebecca, our sister-in-law, she was pretty frustrated with her garden this year. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just had pests and, you know, her tomatoes. Just nothing really worked the way she was hoping. It's it right. can be tough. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> it would be interesting maybe um, for us to talk about all of our failures one one time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as you're do talking, we have, do we have you know half a day's worth of? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's Time. gonna be a four-hour, eight-hour podcast. But it is that that is heartening, though. I I think a lot of social media and blogging and and everything people put out all of the successes, and that's not just about homesteading and stuff. That's about everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. F- Facebook envy. Yeah. Yeah. But man, reality is you're gonna you're gonna screw up a lot, but you're gonna learn through it, so it's gonna be all right. Faith. So in our second segment, we're gonna talk about grief a little bit. And joining us today on the podcast for this segment, we have Grant Stevenson. I'm here for the funny little sayings. <laughs> you can back off that mic just a hair. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like we have some like cheap walkie talkies that we're communicating with. And Mark Stevenson as well. Hello. So as this was ultimately the brainchild of Brian, um, maybe Brian, you want to lead it off? 
and kind of talk about what you were thinking about? Yeah, sure. And, you know, for all of us, a big moment in our lives was when, when our dad got, was diagnosed with cancer and, uh, and passed away three and a half years ago now. Maybe I should look that up before I start talking about no, it. I think but, you're right. Yeah. Three yeah and it's like three and, a, three and a half years ago. You know, I wanted to kind of get all of our perspective on how him getting sick and, and dealing with that and walking through that. Um, how did that impact our faith? You know, he, I mean, he was the pastor of our church. He was an awesome dad. He was healthy. Um, I can remember going into the hospital when they were trying to figure out what was wrong with him. And they were suspecting that it was cancer and they kept looking for, for, um, lifestyle things that, you know, reasons and causes for it. Yeah. And so probably three or four different times I heard him answer, no, I don't drink. No, I don't smoke. No, I've never, um, had any issues in the past. You know, um, he was active, he was healthy and over and over and over. And so then the question for me was given all these these things within his life and being so healthy and being such a man of God, it's why did that happen? And then we had a lot of people with a lot of faith praying for him and and he wasn't healed. And so what how does that impact our our walk with God and what does it mean? Yeah. So a couple of things came to mind when you were talking for me. One was how I dealt with the death and then the other was how it impacted my faith. Um, and it, it, I think those are two separate things, but they're two really important things. Um, a, a close friend of mine here, um, his mom passed away recently, suddenly. And having gone through our dad being sick and dying, um, really gave me um, an empathy for him that I would have never had before. So there's mm-hmm. some really positive things that have come about because I've gone through that. I think I know, um, at least for me, what what I wanted to hear and what how I wanted people to approach it. And so I kind of take that tact. Um, and, and death in other people's lives means a lot more to me now. I always try to reach out. I try to be there. I try to just just say hey i've gone through that i get it a little bit so there's there's been some like positive changes in my life because of that um but i i want to talk about how it impacted my faith but i I first kind of want to talk about the grief element because for me um like truthfully that the time has been the great healer for me um early on it was a lot harder because it was very fresh and then as, as time has gone on, it's distanced um, that moment of death from, from you know, where I'm at now. And it's easier mm-hmm. to talk about, it's easier to think about. Uh, so it's, it's like such a simple antidote, but it's very true, I think, um, that, that time has been, you know, a real healer. Um, you know, it doesn't lessen the loss at all, but, um, you know, it... it it's just, I think it's a natural thing that happens, right? Yeah. You don't, you're not thinking about, about it every single day or every minute of every day, the way you are when you're going through it. I I sometimes wonder, and I hear now a lot of people our age and younger 
they all seem to have like counselors and psychologists that they're going to and they're kind of working through things in their life. And I've never done that. And so it makes me wonder, did I like, did I not deal with it properly in some way? Did I not go through some, is there something still missing, you know, some element of grief or something deep in my life that I need to work on? And and I've thought about that and I don't think there is. And I think maybe different people just deal with it in different ways. But obviously we had each other and mom and our, our families. So we had a lot of support. Anybody else? I, I'm, I can mute for a minute. Anybody else have anything? Um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't feel like it really affected my faith any, um, I feel, I feel a little weird that I didn't have a lot of, I, I don't think I honestly in my heart thought he was going to get better. Mm-hmm. Where as a lot of people either said they did or actually did, I, I don't really know, but there were a lot of people that really were, you know, um, uh, seriously believing, you know, in healing and that's probably something I should work on. Um, but you know, I was looking at it through the science of it and just the percentages. Um, so it was more of a, I guess, coping and, and just dealing, dealing with it, uh, as it, as it went along, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's, uh, I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing or kind of in between if I, you know, should have more faith and really believe that, uh, the healing would happen, but I guess maybe my, my human self wasn't allowing me to have that, that spiritual inner belief, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, um, so I have come to a place where I don't view faith that way. I don't really put power in faith like that. Um, so I think the way that you looked at it was healthy and okay. You know, I mean, you looked at it realistically. Um, it doesn't mean I don't think God can do miracles. Um, but I haven't seen those miracles. So, um, it doesn't, in my mind, it doesn't lessen who God is. It just right. gives me a reasonable and a practical way of looking at life. It doesn't mean I don't pray and I don't hope. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that God is kind of, uh, he's beyond my understanding in that way at this point in my life. Um, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with like the idea that yeah, I can pray for these things and, and I can hope that they'll happen. Um, but through all of those trials and the things I'm praying through, I'm going to focus on what I can do to change my life and to make the way I interact with this world more meaningful. So for mm-hmm. example, um, dad going through that, I might pray for healing and hope for healing. But at the same time, I'm going to look and I'm going to say, you know what, how is this you know, experience going to help me be more of an impact in this world. And in a way, I kind of mentioned that before, it's given me um, empathy, real empathy for other people going through similar situations. And maybe in that moment, it was just to be, you know, more loving to the people that we're experiencing those things with. And and something else that's really cool that um, 
my pastor mentioned to me recently, he talked about how he has to be at people's bedsides quite often when they're going through like their end of life moments. And, and someone had shared with him that as a pastor, it's a real privilege to be part of that time in someone's life. And looking back, it's, it's kind of, it helps me to think, man, that was, that was a privilege to be part of dad's life at the end like that. I mean, that's something that we're all going to go through at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's like a moment that, ne- that shouldn't necessarily be, um, have so much taboo around it. I mean, it's, it's something that maybe we could make it into more of a, like a beautiful thing, you know, that this is end of life and it's precious moments and uh, we're lucky to spend it with each other, you know? Isn't like the, that idea, mom and dad kind of came up in that faith movement in the eighties and the nineties where, and Grant talked about it, where like when you believe something with faith and you're certain that it's going to happen, that God somehow latches onto that and that makes it more likely that it's actually going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. where yeah. that doctrine preaches. And mom and dad kind of came up with it. And so they didn't really want to know all the facts about what the doctor was saying. They didn't want things feeding into fear and doubt. And I I kind of think it can damage people's faith when you have that type of a mindset. Because now if you have that type of mindset, then you think, well, maybe I didn't have enough faith and that's why he wasn't healed. Right. Right. And then we, we end up blaming ourselves. And I really think there, there should be faith. We should believe in God. We should believe that he has the power to heal. We should say that his will even is for good things for us, not that we would die young, but that it's not our power or our certainty that brings about those healing. You know, it's, it's God's will and it's his mighty move. And, and I tend to think that God is more, I don't know what you, if you guys agree with this or not. I view God more as someone who orchestrates things less as somebody who's involved day to day in every little thing within our lives. So I've seen miraculous things, but I tend to think those are very much the exception and not the rule. Yeah. And that's just kind of my view of God. And I kind of had that view already. So then when our prayers weren't answered, it was, I kind of just chalked it up to that. God did not intervene for whatever reason. And it's outside of my understanding. Yeah. yeah, I I, I mean, it had a, a really drastic impact on my faith. Um, I mean, I think that I went through, um, after that experience with dad, you know, a whole questioning of, you know, why do we believe in Jesus? You know, why God? Is there a God? Is, is Jesus God? You know, all of those questions. Um, and now um, I definitely, I hold my beliefs more loosely. Um, and that I'm, I'm very open to new ideas. Um, I'm open to new ideas about God. I, um, more than ever, I feel like I know less about God, but I also feel like I'm closer to who he really is, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like I'm more excited than I've ever been about God and about Jesus and about being a Christian. So it's, it's, it's done kind of really weird things to me and, and good things, I think. But when you're talking about the uh, like word of faith movement, right? I think the rationalization for someone who believes in faith that that someone would get healed and then they don't get healed. Um, I remember hearing that they would still chalk that up to, well, we just don't really know 
God's total plans and, and, you know, God is still beyond our understanding. So it doesn't necessarily mean we didn't have enough faith. It just meant that he had kind of another plan, which is, right. I don't know, does that seem like the rationale that you would hear sometimes? Well, I mean, I remember dad actually telling a story of him praying for like, uh, like a little kid or something. And I want to say it was in the Philippines, but he prayed so hard and he believed like so fiercely that this kid was going to be healed and, that it was just going to amazing things were going to happen. And that kid did not get healed. He ended up dying. I remember dad saying that he was still next time something like this happened, he was still going to pray and he was still going to believe with just as much faith and vigor as before. And I, that probably doesn't answer your question at all. But as you were talking about that, it reminded me of a story yeah. that he told that just because he didn't see that miracle didn't mean that it was never going to happen, that he was going to try again and, you know, one of these days he would see that miracle. Yeah. Well, so then uh, that kind of brings me to the point I wanted to make originally about what Brian had asked. And, and I think that for dad and for mom, both of them, that going through that death experience with that word of faith and that faith movement type of belief system, I think that was what they needed. I think that gave them strength and that gave them hope in the midst of like a dire circumstance. And I think up until the end, they had hope and they had reason for life and they didn't give in to, you know, depression and overwhelming anxiety because they had that hope. So I don't see a real negative, you know, as, as a result of, of him dying, even though they had this firm belief in, in this faith. I mean, he was in the hospital. Faith. He was in the hospital there at the end for like ten or eleven days, and getting weaker and weaker. And he kept wanting to stand up. He kept talking about when he was going to go home. He kept talking about getting better, and that was always constantly on his mind. And to your to your point, you know that he he was hope hopeful, you know, to the very end. Yeah, I think for me, I I wanted him to acknowledge like the uh, terminal factor, but he did. And that was for me that I realized like later that was really for me. You know, I, I felt like I needed like that kind of closure and that kind of like, yeah, I'm dying and I love you guys and it's going to be okay yes. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which, which he never did. And, and that's okay. You know, that was the way he dealt with it in the best way that he could for himself. And that's what needed to happen. It didn't need to happen the way that I wanted it to happen so that I could feel better, you know? Right. Do you remember standing in the funeral home uh, around the casket right before we closed it and kind of saying goodbye? And and mom was there and she was having a hard time, didn't want to close the casket. Do you remember this? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and Clay said something like, I mean, he's not there, mom. Let's just shut the casket or something that yeah, was like. It's, it's not really him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was kind of <laughs> like it broke the tension. It made us laugh. Really, because it was like, yeah, that's right. You know, that's that is truth. And this is just a symbol. This is just another way to say goodbye. Um, but he's not really there. And what I guess what kind of stands out to me about that was that mom was crying. And then as you said that and we started giving you a hard time, it was like, come on, man, you're quit being so harsh. Give her a break. But it made her laugh. Yeah. And and I've seen that in all of us and, and even in mom. Um, 
right after he passed away and on through it that we are able to one of the ways we're able to deal with it and handle it is by um just being joyful and in, in the life that we have and in life yeah and, i mean not walking around depressed all the time and kind of turning that switch to be to be joyful pastor john the guy that did the you know the funeral uh service he even said this was the you know most fun he had you know preparing for a funeral service <laughs> it's just because you know we didn't want to just be moping around the whole time and maybe that was just our way right. of um you know how we expressed our grief was by laughing because it makes total sense <laughs> <laughs> Mark, what do you think, man? So, so Mark, you're probably the more conservative of the group. So how has it impacted you at all? <laughs> Trump 2017, baby. Not politically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my bad. Um, I can honestly say I didn't vote for Trump, but that has nothing to do with this conversation. <laughs> um, no, yeah, just, you know, just kind of listening and reflecting on the situation. I haven't had much time to, to put much thought into it today. So just kind of sitting back and, and thinking. Uh, I mean, I can say it didn't affect my faith at all. And that, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I didn't know if he was going to get better or not. I mean, I was at a distance. I had a different perspective because I was up in Michigan during that time. So I wasn't seeing him day to day, especially like Brian and, and Grant were seeing him. So for me, it was more, uh, just emotionally, it, it, it impacted me more emotionally than it did spiritually, I guess, just, mm-hmm. just because when I came down and, and he was obviously, you know, getting pretty close to dying it that was when the first time I had seen him in a long time. So, um, but, but for faith, I mean, I think, I mean, we're called in, in the Bible to, to pray and for, you know, lift up our prayer and petition to the Lord. So, I mean, if, if we really, I mean, selfishly or whatever we want to believe that, that he, you know, we wanted him to get better or whatever it was, and we're supposed to pray for that. But then also with the Lord's prayer, I mean, it says thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And, and I mean, it's ultimately up to the Lord's will to determine what happened. So, you know, that, that was kind of my resolve was that, you know, in, in my opinion, it was still God's will, however it happened and, and good can come of that. And I think good will and has come of that. So it didn't really impact my faith because, you know, I just believe in the sovereignty of God in, in general. And so I just believe he's sovereign and his will was done and it will be done uh, regardless of what we think or pray, but we're still called to pray. And so that's kind of the dichotomy there is we're still called to pray yet you know, things happen that we don't pray for. So um, the, the challenge for me was like, if it, it's like, if, if God isn't going to answer this, such an important prayer for such a good person like dad, who was doing so much good, then what's the point? Mm-hmm. That was the, that was the challenging part for me that I kind of dealt with before dad kind of, i thought about it on a theoretical level. Was just right. like if, if we're not seeing God moving in miraculous ways every day in our lives and, and impacting our lives, then what's the point in investing so much um, faith and so much emotion into this belief system? Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, and so then it was kind of brought home with this, the, kind of the unfairness of it to me. I guess part of what I am still searching for, which would, would help me, is a reason. Is mm-hmm. a reason. Yeah. So. Um, actually to me, it would be a natural reason or maybe a, some type of spiritual warfare, um, reason, which I, I struggle to, um, to believe honestly that, that that's what it is. But some people would say that it was spiritual warfare. So those are the two things is, is kind of why did it happen? And then if God's not going to really be there for us in a situation like this, then what's the point? 
Those are the two so, challenges for me. Yeah, and, and I think I wrestled with that same thing. And I've come to kind of a tentative understanding of prayer in my own life in that I see that prayer for healing um, as something that provides me hope. I don't think I'm necessarily impacting anything else with that prayer. I may be, I may not be, I, I don't know. And it doesn't really even matter to me because I, I feel like it helps me feel better about it. Right. <laughs> you know, it, it, com- it comes down to a, a simple, like there's, there's nothing else you can do in this situation. You've done what you can. You've, you've employed doctors. You know, we're doing everything we can. The only thing you have at that point for any kind of hope is something miraculous. Right. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to, I'm going to hope for that. Um, but I'm not going to rest that miracle on some, some kind of like intangible amount of faith or belief that I may or may not have. I just don't think that's reasonable uh, for me. I mean, it's, so and it sounds like, like from Mark's perspective, he's, you've already got it kind of locked in that, that God is sovereign. And so then when you, when you have that mindset, then it doesn't really matter what happens because you already know what you believe. And that really helps you, right, Mark, to handle what is still, you're still burdened by the grief and the sadness and all that. Mm-hmm. But from a faith perspective, you already know what you believe that, that God is in control and you're, re- you're able to rest in that. Is that pretty much sum, sum up where you're at? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I can honestly say it didn't shake my faith or any, I mean, like I said, it impacted me more emotionally, but, you know, and I view prayer more in like a four part way that it, we, no, he's going to, he's going to break it down. So we view prayers as uh, ACTS. So adoration, we, you know, say a prayer of adoration to God. We confess, confess your sins, uh, T Thanksgiving, give Thanksgiving to God. And then S supplication. That's when you earnestly pray and petition for something. So, so I, I think, and I agree with what Clay was saying. For me, when we when we pray, and when I was praying for Dad, and, I mean, it was kind of a lot of it was for us, you know, for mm. for me, in just that communication and that communion with God, and and maybe it was just it forced all of us to <laughs> to spend time in prayer and to spend time uh, really thinking and reflecting and spending that time with God. So there's one time I was standing next to his bed and praying for him, and I could see a vision in my mind of him getting up out of the hospital room and walking, walking out completely healed. And it was like, I knew for five seconds, 10 seconds, 60 seconds, however long that moment lasted, I knew that he was going to get better. I had, I had that faith that Grant was talking about kind of struggling with. I had it for that moment and it was really encouraging to me. And so then Afterward, I kind of went right back to where I was before. It was kind of this balance between hope and rational recognition that he 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 was struggling, and so that was a powerful moment for me. Even though the outcome didn't turn out to be, um, you know, that it didn't turn out that he was healed. So then maybe that's kind of part of what you're saying also is that how it did edify me in some way. I had a connection with something there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really, it, it totally shook my faith. Um, um, so my idea of faith before he died was that something this bad couldn't happen to someone like that. Yes. Um, yep. And, and so when it did, I realized that the God I had always believed in wasn't who I thought he was. And 
that caused me to go back and just like break it all down and to look at everything that I believed in and, and say, I could be wrong about that. You know, I could be wrong about this. I could be wrong about that. So, so I, that's kind of how I am right now. Like I, I could be wrong the whole time and, and it doesn't, and the, the great part, like the most freeing moment for me was coming to that realization and then realizing that I could still be a Christ follower. I could not worry about this heaven and hell thing because I believe in an ultimate loving Christ who's going to take care of me through my doubts, regardless Right. Any of my misbeliefs are not lining up exactly with what is potentially the ultimate right. right. <laughs> you know, who am I to really even know the ultimate right? You know, I, I mean, what what I've come to realize is that I don't know the answers right. to all those things. The questions that I posed earlier about what, what's the point and and what's the it's like I I know that I get fulfillment and I get a connection with God through worship, through music, through prayer, through meditation, through reading the word, and that I I know that he's there. And so that's, I get that fulfillment. And then as to why it happened or how God could allow it to happen, all these types of things, I'm okay with not understanding that. And so yeah. that's a big shift. I think a lot of people probably get stuck on trying to figure it out and they can't, and then they can't move on in their faith instead of, either coming to some type of understanding about God's sovereignty or just saying it doesn't make sense, but I'm okay with that. I, I wanted to talk real quick about something you uh, had touched on a little bit uh, when you were talking about dad just being a really good person. One of the things I'm, I'm missing um, big time after he's died is somebody who I could call up or talk to who would be excited about my life and things that are going on. So, you know, he was like such a great person just to like, say, hey, check this out, you know? And I think this is just, in general, we want to do that with our parents and we want them to be, like, to approve and, and you know, give us a pat on the back and like, yeah, good job. Um, it's a natural thing. But he was really good at it with everybody. You know, a lot of people would go to him with things and kind of get affirmation. And, and he was really good at giving it, yeah, you yeah. know? And he would always seem to be very authentic with, like, you know, excited about things that you had going on in your life. So what it's made me want to be more of is that to other people. Right. So now I'm like really conscious when, when somebody wants to show me something, even if it's my kids, like really paying attention, man, and really digging into what that is and really being appreciative of it. Because I remember how amazing it was to have him in my life to be able to do that. Yeah. Shouldn't it, was, it be, especially if it's your kids, not even if it's your kids? I think up those so. words right there. <laughs> he was frequently flabbergasted. I'll give, I'll yeah. Give that. <laughs> no, yeah, Clay, I agree though. I mean, that was, like I said, it impacted me more emotionally. And, and I mean, I, I viewed, and I didn't realize it probably until later, but unfortunately I viewed dad as, I mean, he was my best, one of my best friends, if, if not, you know, my best friend, probably all of your best friend as well. No, same so, thing. Yeah. So it was, so, and, and I didn't, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and when you, when someone's gone, then you you realize that more than you, we did probably before when he was alive. But so yeah, I hundred percent agree. And and he was, he was. Um, I find myself doing that with with other with friends or colleagues or or even the kids. Uh, you know, being a priest or trying to appreciate what they're doing, and maybe it comes <laughs> maybe it comes across as 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 not genuine, but it it always seemed like with dad that it, it did come across as genuine. 
and I don't think he was necessarily acting. I don't think he was a good actor or anything. I think he was genuinely interested and he was genuinely uh, appreciative of whatever we were talking about. I think he was easily amused and easily impressed. And so, right. <laughs> so, so it was like exactly. any little thing. He was just like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, how do you, where did you get the talent and all this stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Technology like blew away, yeah. you know? Yeah. His iPhone was like his best friend. He was reading when he realized he could read books and read like classic literature on his on his iPhone. Yeah. Man, it was like the whole world of world changed. He would be glad to know that his iPhone is now being used for Pokemon Go exclusively. <laughs> Just I'm sure he would be super stoked. What what happened to his phone? Who has it? I, I have it. The kids, the kids, and I use it for Pokemon Go. Like I said, I'm not lying about it. I wanted to mention the whole thing with him when we were talking about him not really recognizing the fact that he was getting close to death, and I think part of that, and I kind of wanted him to recognize that too or acknowledge it. I guess at the time, I think part of it too was was medically though or um, physically with his ammonia levels being so high. From what I remember, he wasn't thinking straight anyway. Um, his kidneys were getting shut down. Yeah. Yeah. So he, so he just, he mentally, he started to decline. And so he didn't, I don't think he really realized the magnitude of what was going on at, at a certain point, um, especially when he was in the hospital. So, I, so I don't know if maybe that impacted him not being able to acknowledge that he was getting close to dying. Right. Well, like, yeah, I told you guys before that I had a conversation with him, taking him to, um, uh, one of the chemotherapy treatments when I was like, Hey, if you die, I want you to know, I love you. And, you know, I want you to know, we'll take care of mom and, you know, all those things. And, and he, that was like the closest he ever got to, at least in my opinion, to like acknowledging like, yeah, I might die, you know, because he, he just kind of was, shook his head and was like, yeah, I know, I know you guys will take care of mom and, um, and I love you and I know you love me. And, you know, it was, it was, it was that kind of a conversation, but it, it was never the, um, but it's okay. You know, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for him to say like, I might die, but it's, it's okay. You know, this is part of what we experience, um, on this earth. You know, I wanted him to say, you know, I'm, I realize I'm getting close to death. Here's the secret of life that I'm going to yeah. pass on <laughs> to you in my, yeah. my, with my final breath. It's like, you know, that's yeah. a, some yeah. type of parting, so, uh, you know, just amazing words of wisdom or profound. something. Profound. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and, and when I think about it, it's like, man, that was his life, actually. <laughs> it, it, he right. lived right. out right. all the things that he wanted to, to teach us and show us, you know, every right. day. So, I mean, it was yeah. a blessing to be able to have that. Yeah. I mean, I look at him and I think about him as, as a father and as a husband, um, you know, in the way that he was always dedicated and disciplined to his jobs, whatever they were. Um, you know, he was, he was just the, they don't make them like that anymore. The the other thing that I was going to mention is, um, I, after he died, um, I felt like a void in my life, not only like for a dad and a father figure, but, but like there was a void of someone in authority. So I looked for and was kind of hoping or seeking for somebody else to kind of step into that role, somebody that I could look up to. Yes. And I think 
in the interim, I've realized that I need to be that person that others can look up to if, if there's people that are seeking that. So I, I've realized that, man, I need to carry that mantle. I need to continue his legacy in a way I can continue his legacy and, and honor him is to be a loving ear and a shoulder and a help for people um, in the same way that he was to like the whole congregation of, of Acts 2. Do you ever talk to people in their 60s, men in their 60s now uh, on any type of regular basis and get just that, what you're just talking about, kind of that sense of experience and authority and maturity that even though we're all grown men, it's different. Yeah. Like the older generation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 There's a group of guys I play racquetball with and they're all in their sixties and they definitely like, you know, treat me as like, you know, take, I'm, they're taking me under their wing and, you know, and and I, I totally sit back and I take all their suggestions and ideas and, you know, we talk politics and all, and I, I'm just like very respectful and yeah, you know, I like having that input. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's definitely good. Um, but it's different. It's not, it's not the same kind of, you know, relationship that I had with dad. I mean, like Mark said, he was, he was our, he was a best friend and a dad. And so all of the conversations that you would have with a friend, the, the, uh, confidential things that you would share, the encouragement you would get from him, um, him saying, having your dad say that he's proud of something that you did is so much different than anybody else saying it, you know? Right, and right. so, yeah, all those types of things are, are gone and they, they can't really be replaced in the same way. I think they're replaced in other ways over time. Yeah. Did anybody have anger towards God? Like I didn't personally, but I know like I hear a lot of people when their loved ones die or their friends die that they get mad at God or, you know, I, I didn't experience that. No, but I'm, I'm generally not an angry person. Dude, I'm, I'm mad all the time. (laughs) (laughs) The angry angler. But, but what, but honestly, I don't think any of us are really angry people. Um, But I think partly because we had a really good role model who was not an angry person yeah, mom. in our family. Oh, yeah, dad, dad. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't say I was angry, but I definitely questioned and, and said, why did this happen? And why did God, why did you allow this to happen? You know, when, when I know and have believed my entire life that you have the, the power to heal and, uh, and, and you didn't. And so it was a questioning. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it, the, the way I resolved it was more, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I still have a sense and a, a peace that God loves me and cares for me, that he loved dad and he cared for dad. I, I didn't lose that. You know what I mean? So I think that's where the, the questioning didn't turn into that anger and bitterness it um, it's something that still is is sitting there in my mind, but I know I still have the confidence that he loves me and that he cares for us. Mm. Well, I think ultimately, um, man, we were so lucky to have the years that we had with him. There's so many people in this world that don't have a father, don't have a mother. A couple of days after he passed away, I talked to another parent who shared with me that his dad was shot and killed when he was 17. And then I realized that
that I had 30 more years or 20 more years with dad than he had had with his dad. And I realized how, how blessed I was. It's so true. And, and like, I have embraced this idea that I'm going to continue all of the positive things that I can think of that were associated with his life and be an awesome dad and be an awesome husband and um, be an awesome friend and brother to the people that I encounter. And then hopefully what's going to happen is all of us being like that and all of the people that he impacted being like that is just going to cause his legacy to be such an exponentially amazing legacy because it's been this ripple effect through, you know, all the people that he encountered. And I feel like when I do that, I honor him and I remember him and he's not, he's not totally gone. Right. It's hard to keep that passion. It kind of reminds me of going to like a, a, a conference as a high schooler and getting all fired up about, about Jesus or about God. And then it gradually fades. And I can remember right after he passed away saying, man, we've got to love our wives more. We need to love our kids more. We need to love our mom. You know, we need to be there with our family and with our brothers. And then kind of that urgency, it, it starts to fade over the, over the years. And it's important to kind of rekindle that and remember to that, remember how he lived. And I mean, I guess we could build him up like he was perfect. Um, but honestly, he was a pretty good dude. So if we could, if we could strive to be um, yeah. as, as loving as he was, we'd be doing pretty good. Thanks again for being with us on Brother to Brother Podcast. Uh, it was nice having Grant and Mark joining Brian and I. Uh, we'll have to get them back at another time. But thanks. thanks for joining us, guys. You're welcome. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That, was that doesn't make any sense because it's the last the segment. Off already. That was my grand, that was my grand impersonation. You're welcome. You're welcome. It, it's, Brian, it's Brian and me anyway. Do it again. <laughs> it's me and Brian. I always put myself first. No, it, it doesn't matter. Either one, it doesn't matter. You say you, if you break it up into sections, you say you played with me. You played with you. <laughs> <laughs> Can somebody mute that guy? <laughs> uh, I think if nothing else, man, this world needs good dads. Like, really, if we just be good dads, definitely. Gonna There's four great dads impact. right here, so I think it's a good start. <laughs> <laughs>